Hey, this is Barbara Corcoran, and you are now tuned in to Business Unusual. And everything you ever learned about business, throw it out the window. I'm going to tell you the real deal. Listen in. Today, I'm going to answer all your burning questions about work, life, starting a company, getting on track, and much, much more. Be sure to call in to the Business Unusual hotline with your question at 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. But first, today we're going to be talking about growing a business and all the growing pains that go along with it. We're going to be talking to someone who's in a tiny little space in their home and is bursting at the seams and is wondering whether they should move. We're going to be talking about a guy who's miserable with his partner and wants to get rid of the partner. How do you actually get rid of a clunker who's a partner? We're going to talk about building a business and trying to take it international and manage it from a foreign country, as well as how do you work with your business partner when that business partner is your spouse? All the stuff that makes growing a business so darn frustrating, but so satisfying when you could figure it all out. Hey, Barbara, it's Max from Boston. I had a question for you. When do you think the best time to get an office for your company is? Or do you think you should at all? Should you keep doing everything virtually on your computer, or should you get an office to bring all your employees in-house? Thanks. Max, I'm not a big proponent of moving into an office until you absolutely have to. I remember I worked out of my own apartment, sharing it with two roommates off my living room couch for probably a year and a half until I had so much paperwork around the living room that my roommates threatened to evict me. That's when I got a simple rented desk in somebody else's office. Let me tell you what I learned building a business from just myself to over a thousand people. I learned that crowded spaces make money. If you could crowd people into a space and not give them a lot of elbow room, so to speak, they talk to each other. There's an energy in a crowded space where you just feel it when you walk in a room. I made the mistake a few years along the way into the business of getting bigger space than I needed, hoping to fill it. And yet I found that my ability to recruit and my ability to get good camaraderie and good energy in the office was lost. So after that one mistake, I never got a big office again. I always overcrowded my offices because I learned that it makes money. On your particular question, I would say, don't you dare get an office until you're bulging at your seams and you have no choice. And when you do, make sure you take a short-term lease and a little office so that you can overcrowd that one and then move on and get something bigger later. No, stay put as long as you can until your business says to you, we can't take it anymore. Get us out of this joint. Hi, Barbara. My name is Ryan, and I'm calling you from Texas. And my question for you is, I just launched a startup with a friend of mine. But as the company continues to grow, I'm realizing that this partner isn't really the best fit for the company, and I feel like he is going to scare away investors. What should I do about it, especially since I don't see him stepping down? How should I go about proceeding? Thank you. Ryan, I'm more than happy to answer this question. Let me start by saying there is a real value in partnership. And for two out of three entrepreneurs, the value is in getting them started. It's easy to charge blindly into the darkness when you're holding somebody else's hand. And that's what a partner is all about. And I would suspect that perhaps you wouldn't have started your business if you didn't have the partner. So that being said, there's a time when partnerships should end And two out of three of the entrepreneurs I invested in Shark Tank who started as partners usually don't succeed in a partnership, but at least it got them started. 
My advice would be to end the partnership as quickly as you realize it's not working for you anymore. You need to address it now. If it's not going well now, it's going to be a lot worse when there's more sales, more staff, more decisions to be made, and more conflicts. It just gets ugly. It's like a marriage that goes on too long. How do you end a partnership? Number one, make it a clean break. Don't say, hey, in six months, we're going to end the partnership. It's similar to saying to someone, hey, in six months, I'm going to fire you. No, 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 no. It's never a happy stance in between. You got to make a quick break. It's going to take a lot of courage for you to address it with your partner because you're going to have some old loyalties and no one likes to be the bearer of bad news. But let me suggest to you that you just say it. Just say it. Listen, this is not working out for me. I don't know how it's working out for you, but I want to end this partnership. This is how I'd like to do it. When I was ending my partnership with my boyfriend and partner who gave me my initial $1,000 to start the Corcoran Simone Group, I just came to him because, of course, he married my secretary and it was breaking my heart and came to him and simply said, listen, we're going to end the partnership today and this is how we're going to do it. And I said, we're going to choose our salespeople. You choose first. We have 14. You take seven. I take seven. We're going to break up this business today. Done. He was shocked. Maybe it wasn't the most graceful way to do it, but I got it done. I would suggest to you that if you can't agree on price is a great way to do it. Let's say you have billings in your company and there's sizable billings or even small billings come in. You could cut them in half. And if you think the partnership is worth more than just the billings and most small businesses aren't, I would say you both agree on a price on what would be a fair price for half the business. And then once you agree on the price, you just pull straws. You might get the long straw. He might get the short straw. But both of you have agreed that either man could get stuck with the price. And that is a way of building in a fair price when you want to end a partnership. So that would be my advice. Appreciate what the partnership brought you, which has got you into the business and appreciate your partner for that. But move very swiftly if you think the partnership isn't working because it only gets worse. Hey, Barbara. My name is Christina Johnson from Goffstown, New Hampshire. I've started a small online business called the Pizza Box, and it's a subscription delivery service for homemade ingredients to be delivered right to your doorstep to make gourmet-style pizzas. So my family and I are currently in the process of moving over to Japan. This has kind of been a side hustle of mine for some time now. I'm also a sales executive for a Fortune 200 company, and my wife and I are both in the military. And I'm curious if you have any advice on how to successfully manage a business remotely from the other side of the world. Thanks so much, and I love everything you do. Christina, I'm afraid I'm going to give you the advice you don't really want, which is I don't believe you can manage a business from the other side of the country, never mind the other side of the world. What you need to do is find a rock-solid partner you can trust or sell the business, but you cannot manage it from afar. Let me give you an example of this. I invest in a company called Cousins Maine Lobster, the most capable two entrepreneurs you'd ever want to meet. They can accomplish anything. But when they told me that they were going to manage an online lobster delivery company that was in Maine and they were going to manage it from California, I rightly told them they were out of their mind. There's no way you'd have the quality control. There's no way you could do it. But do it, they did. And two years later, they finally closed it. Now, I'm not saying that to brag or say I told you so, but I've lived life a little longer than these two young guys, and I know you can't manage from afar. Management is all about personal connection, all about making sure quality control happens, all about seeing opportunities to take the business farther, 
And most importantly, it's about single-minded focus. You can't do that from afar. So I would suggest you make a decision between two things. Number one, you either sell the business if you think it's saleable or, and by the way, if you sell the business, you could say, I want to be paid 20% back on all of your revenue for the rest of your life while you run the business or negotiate whatever term you want for that. Or you simply find yourself a management partner. And I don't mean a manager or an employee. I mean, give somebody half your business or 40% of your business and say, I want you to continue this business. I trust your talent and you are totally in charge. If you think you're going to manage it from Japan or coach them along from Japan, it ain't going to happen. The business that you love and have learned to cherish and are doing well with is going to fade into the sunset. So that's my advice. I hope you can accept it. Hello, my name is Vanessa calling from New York City. My husband and I are both real estate agents. We met closing a transaction representing opposite sides of the deal. We didn't start dating until the deal was done, of course. Now, fast forward, we are married and continue to work for separate brokerages. My question is, should we continue our separate businesses in the same industry or is it a good idea to join forces and form a more powerful team together? I see married couples team up all the time in real estate and it seems to work. But can it affect the dynamic of the relationship outside of work? I guess I'm wondering if healthy competition is maybe healthier for a relationship where we each have our own work and baby to brag about, or can it be beneficial to grow that shared passion together? Well, what a romantic story. It's kind of the story that every healthy real estate agent wants to happen to them, but it happened to you. Good for you. I don't think I've ever met somebody who married another real estate agent. My advice to you is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If it's working for you as it stands for both you and your husband, you're doing good business and you're enjoying what you're doing, leave it alone. There are a couple of things you're taking for granted right now that you might really miss if you join forces. One is you get to sit at a dinner table every night and say, so what happened in your day? The huge advantage you have now that you might be taking for granted is you're each living separate days. You're meeting separate people. You're having different experiences. If you get to a dinner table at night and you're working together, what the heck are you going to talk about? Hey, let's review our clients together. It's much harder to have a dividing line when you're living with someone all day long and going home at night and living with them again. Now, granted, in the real estate business, there are many partnerships that are comprised of a husband and wife but they started together in almost every instance and they became partners with delegating different roles. But if you're a great salesman and your husband's a great salesman, how are you going to delegate different roles? You're both doing the same thing. Nope. I say definitely keep things as they are. Don't be concerned about uniting in a front. I don't believe it will get you more business and I think it might harm your relationship. Let's take a short break to talk about a company I love, my friends at On Deck Business Loans. Now let's get back to the show. Today, we're going to try something new. Instead of just answering your question, I'm going to call a couple of folks up and actually discuss their question. So stay tuned. I think you're going to learn a lot more. And if you've got a question, just remember to call 888-BARBARA. 
That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. Hey, that's my name. And if you phone in a really thorny question, I might even call you live. Hi, Barbara. This is Alina calling from Omaha, Nebraska. I recently started a social media agency, and I've been building that for about almost a year and a half now. And I'm kind of questioning whether the freedom of entrepreneurship is going to pay off as opposed to, say, if I was working at a company that really aligned with my values and just had a lot more potential for growth, for example, in a sales department. What's your advice on how you can kind of differentiate when working for yourself really is going to pay off in the end? Thank you. This is a very, very common obstacle for every entrepreneur in business. And let me share with you what I've learned. I've learned that 80% is good enough when you have to delegate. And the only way you can build a successful business is if you could delegate to someone else a portion of what you're doing. Now, I, like you, am a perfectionist. I'm anal retentive. I want everything perfect. I don't want the patience if something's imperfect and I take no excuses. Mm-hmm. Not an easy person to work for, actually, if you think about that, right? Yeah. If you're going to demand perfection from someone, it might be very hard for someone to work for you. Mm-hmm. However, if you could loosen the reins just 20%, which I've learned to do, and the minute I did hire my very first person, I was set free. Okay. I loosened the reins by thinking, you know what? Nobody's going to be as good as me. No one's going to do the job as good as you, but 80% is good enough. Mm-hmm. If you could hire someone to take away a portion of your job that you're doing for your clients, what would you give away? Mm, I think I created a process. One of the deliverables is a monthly social media content calendar for my clients. Mm. So you have to go through the designs of the images and then the copywriting. Mm. And I think once I do that once for a client, it's kind of easy to get onto a process. So that's what I've started to try to train a copywriter and a designer to help me execute. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that is kind of what I want to start delegating more of. And did you hire that copywriter to execute already? I just started training. Well, congratulations. You didn't tell me that. So now you you could take two things off your list. You got clients right out of the gate. A miracle. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Number two, you realize you had more business than you could handle and you hired a capable person to delegate a portion of the job that you think they're able to handle and you're training them now. Yes. Okay. Then I have to ask the most important question here. Okay. Why do you have doubt in your voice in the question and why would you even think about going back to work for someone else? Because I'm worried that I'm underpricing. And maybe that's why I'm also getting so much business. Mm -hmm. And but I feel like I don't have enough of the credentials to price myself high enough. I feel like I'm working around the clock and I'm still getting paid basically not that much compared to the grand scheme of things where I think, okay, if you go find a very entrepreneurial company and there's a lot of opportunity for growth, and you can work within a team, I feel like maybe that would be a way that I could use my strengths and keep growing a company I believe in rather than me taking all the stress and always worrying if it's ever going to pay off. 
Does that make sense? It makes great sense. And if I asked you, what would make the difference of it paying off right now? Let's say you're making $100,000 a year or 50000 whatever it is. I won't ask you that. But mm-hmm. if you could increase that by 10%, would you feel differently 20%, 30% for the same number of hours? How would you feel? Huh. What would that number be? What would it look like? Or would it not make a difference? I don't know. Maybe kind of a target around 100000 Maybe I'd feel like that's something I couldn't have done at my last position. So maybe that would be worth it. Let me ask you, to reach 100000 as a dream goal, if you could do that right now, what percentage would you have to increase your fees? 10%, 20 30%? How much? Mm, I think around 20%. Mm-hmm. I would just suggest you start doing that. Okay. Before you abandon ship. Do you know, there's things that you get as an entrepreneur that you're not experiencing right now because you're at the baby stages. Okay. One of them is the freedom you have. Although you're working, it sounds to me like endless hours, you're choosing to work those hours, right? True. Okay, Mm -hmm. you you could work far less hours if you want to delegate more. That's within your reach. You've just stepped into that possibility. Right. You have the freedom, though, that you have right now that you can never get working for someone else. If you chose to go on vacation for 10 weeks, you could actually do that if you planned ahead. And if you had the right people working for you, you go working for the next guy, they're not going to give you a 10-week vacation. It's just not going to happen. True. In the job you are now, you can choose who you work with, Mm -hmm. right? I like this person. I don't like that person. If you go back to the next guy, they're going to tell you who you're working with. Yeah, Right now, you could choose a client, drop a client. If you don't like that client, Mm -hmm. you're not enjoying working with them, you could drop them. You get assigned clients by a boss, you're not going to drop them. you got to live with them. That is true. I'm just reminding you probably of the things that attracted you into going to business for yourself in the first place. That is all very true. However, for the amount of hours you're working, you're not being paid enough, nor do you have enough help. Those are your only two issues. Mm -hmm. I would say for the next client that comes in or the next clients that come and approach you for the next three months, quote them a fee 10% higher. They will definitely pay it. Okay. Then the next three months, quote them a fee 20% higher. They will definitely pay it. And you keep quoting a higher fee until you find your point of resistance. This is not ripping people off. This is called finding your value. It happens in every business. Okay. You might feel entirely different. But also I sense between the lines, I think you're a little lonely. I think you need help to make the spirit. I'm so lonely. I know I I can hear it. I'm doing it all by myself. I know it's terrible. If I had to work by myself, I'd be a failure. I'm such a team person. So Mm -hmm. find the help. Hire this first person you're training. Try to think, who else could I hire? Who else could I hire? Once you have a team of three people, everything's Mm going to change. Okay. And you'll be able to afford them if you keep quoting higher rates. So please don't go back to work for the other guy until you try these two simple things. Okay, I won't. Delegate more and raise your prices. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I really appreciate your advice. I'll be rooting for you. Thank you, Barbara. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that's all the questions we have time for today. If you have a question, leave me a voicemail on the Business Unusual hotline, 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. You can also tweet it to me at Barbara Corcoran, and I may just answer it on a future episode. You've been listening to Business Unusual with me, Barbara Corcoran. 
Come back next week to hear more steps and missteps I took on the path to success. Search and follow Business Unusual on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.